Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. As the expiration date on the nationwide eviction moratorium approached last week, efforts to extend it and allow people to stay in their homes devolved into a tragic comedy of errors. In June, the Supreme Court had sort of, but not really ruled that it couldn't be extended beyond July 31st. Democrats did basically nothing over the next month, and last Thursday, the White House announced it would allow the ban to lapse in two days' time. It had originally been put in place last year by the CDC as a way to slow the spread of COVID. But the Biden administration had concluded that it didn't have the authority to extend the moratorium on its own without an act of Congress. Here's White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre. President Biden would have strongly supported a decision by the CDC to further extend this eviction moratorium to protect renters at this at this moment of heightened vulnerability. But like we've all said today, unfortunately, the Supreme Court has made clear that this option is no longer available. This was apparently news to congressional Democrats who had been hoping for unilateral action from the president. There now ensued a mad dash by House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her allies to whip enough support to pass an extension before the end of the week, or at least to look like they were trying. Said Representative Jim McGovern, chairman of the rules panel, I quite frankly wish he, meaning Biden, had asked us sooner. Unsurprisingly, the rushed effort failed. From there, Democratic leaders shrugged and went on recess. Oh well, but one member of Congress decided not to go home. Cori Bush headed for the steps of the Capitol and said that she wasn't leaving until the moratorium was extended. She asked Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez to camp out with her, and the two were soon joined by several dozen people who made the steps their home. Nobody was allowed to sleep, though. If Capitol Police saw anybody dozing off, they'd intervene, but as long as they stayed awake, they were able to stay. Over the weekend, the White House continued to insist that it would love to help, but it simply didn't have the authority. Pelosi said she'd be happy to pass legislation extending it, but gosh darn it, that darn filibuster in the Senate meant it couldn't get through. And Schumer, well, he was dealing with his bipartisan infrastructure package, so he'd love to help, but he just couldn't. Democratic leaders probably assumed the issue would fade from the front pages pretty quickly, but the crowd kept growing at the Capitol, and Bush was soon joined by more of her colleagues. Public outrage about the lapsed moratorium and at the incompetent way it was handled only grew. I was there on Tuesday afternoon when news broke that the White House had had a change of heart and would be introducing a new moratorium. Not long after, Elizabeth Warren stopped by. 
I think Cori Bush has been absolutely pivotal in getting real change. You know, she's one woman who stood up and said, I'm not moving. She testified from personal experience. And she said, this is what it is like to lose your home. This is what it's like to be moved out. And that was enough to capture the attention of a lot of people across this nation and a lot of people in this building and at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue. And that's how we get change. Go, Corey. The members of Congress who'd stuck it out held a press conference and then a makeshift rally. Governors, municipalities, get this money out. We have $46 billion. It needs to get out to the American people. We need to keep people housed. Today is important because it marks, I hope, a turning point in the way that this White House views progressives. What has just been announced is that the CDC, under the direction of the president, is implementing a new federal eviction moratorium. The tears, let's be clear, are joyful tears. My God, I don't believe we did this. The next morning, I spoke with Congresswoman Bush about her win on the moratorium extension and about how her own life experiences have informed her view on poverty in America. Congresswoman Cori Bush, welcome to Deconstructed. Thank you. <laughs> so so you've had less than 24 hours to, re- to reflect on your... Do you want to call it a victory here? I guess that's too soon to call it a victory to reflect on the the White House introducing a new eviction moratorium. Yes. Did you expect that it would come this quickly? Um, I felt like it would come this quickly. I just didn't know (laughs) that it would come (laughs) this quickly. I I was very, very hopeful. I kind of thought that we would have to move, have a little more pressure. Um, but I'm just, I am just still in awe of how the community just pushed this thing. It was amazing. So yeah, yesterday at the press conference, after the news came out, you got emotional when Congressman Gomez talked about how your own background had kind of put you in a place where you were able to achieve this. And it, it, it made me think about this Dolly Parton song that that talks about poverty in, in one of the most profound ways that I've ever heard. And basically what she gets at in the song is that, you know, in, in this in this country, you know, poverty and economic struggle are things that we are proud to have overcome. We are proud if our parents overcome it in the moment when we're in it, we're deeply ashamed of it. There, there's, there's a classism in our in our country that that we internalize when we're going through it and you know you're so close to it still you and i talked a bunch during the campaign you were struggling right up until the you know election night so i'm wondering how that classism that everybody who struggles in this country deals with has affected you because you've leaned into your story it's your story that's made you such an effective advocate yet at the same time you know telling that story you know, forces you to relive it and forces you to go through the the shame that our society puts on that, uh, puts on that poverty. So, yeah. you know, how, how, what's it been like for you to grapple with that? You know, it's, it's really difficult. 
because people, you can just feel the judgment, you know, or where people are asking questions to see where they can find your error because it's your fault that you ended up in those positions. Every time I talk about it, like when Rep Gomez was talking about it being my my story, it's because the tears came from feeling like I felt in, in those moments when I was unhoused. You know, I could still feel the way that I felt. I remember being in the car and my babies being in the back seat and just wondering what day this ends, what day this ends, how will it end, and will I ever end up back in this position again? I just remember feeling that. I remember feeling like people don't understand, and how can I make them understand? It's not that we are bad people. It's not that we don't deserve to have a home or we don't deserve to have a better quality of life getting people to understand that. And so that's where some of that emotion was coming from um, because, you know, there's something that comes with standing in the line at a food pantry. There is a whole, like, something happens to you. Something happens when you have to explain how you're poor enough to be able to receive these resources, why you ended up in this position. You know, you have to explain it. And... I just remember feeling that and how it felt every time I pulled out my WIC vouchers in the grocery store. Whenever I used my pay for something with food stamps, I just all of that was just flooding back. Yeah, I could feel that coming from you at that press event because there were there were definitely tears of joy, you know, uh, flowing yes. at flowing at times yesterday. But those seemed like genuine tears of pain of remembering that time. And yeah. like you said, at the time you're wondering, will you get back there? Uh, one thing that people who've gone through that for so long continue to live with is this question of, will I get back there? And I wonder, do you still to this day confront some of those questions? Like, is this temporary? Will I, you know, will I be there again? Absolutely. Because I don't know how I got there in the first place. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that I could, I just like, I had never saw that for myself. And the issues that were present that helped me to end up in that position are still very present and prevalent today. We have not fixed those issues. And that's so that's one reason why I wanted to run for Congress was because I want to be able to work on those issues because sometimes we legislate on such a high level that we don't understand all the nuances to poverty. So we miss so much. For example, if we say, well, I want to make sure that I am helping our unhoused community to um, to have a home. We have a bill, the Unhoused Bill of Rights. Okay, so if we build homes, we take money, we build homes for our unhoused community members and we get everybody into a home. How did they get there? Did we make sure that they had wraparound services to even be able to be in a position to even walk in those doors? Did we make sure that they had, like, what all did we equip them with to be able to walk into those doors, to be able to, to have the home and maintain the home? Did we make sure that they had even a shower and clean clothes to feel, to feel the dignity that they may want 
in the moment to be able to walk into a grocery store and buy the food to be able to put into the home, like all of that, because I know I, that's me. I, I wanted to feel the dignity of being able to walk into my job. And there were days that I had to go into my job with the same clothes on that I had on um, the night before and go in and sneak into the bathroom and go and wash my and go and wash myself up before um, before work. So that's what I mean. Like we have to like understanding the different pieces of what we deal with is important. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Uh, there aren't many people in, in Congress who understand the, the indignity that our kind of public benefits programs in, inflict on people, it, it, that it almost feels intentional. As a lawmaker, ha- have you thought of, of, of ways to strip some of that indignity out of, out of the system? Yes, that's, well, that's one reason why I talk about it. You know, because one thing to, uh, when you expose the dirt, it's not dirty anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to clean, you, you, you know, you know, it, it has to be cleaned up. And so that is one reason why I talk about it while I'm, I allow myself to be so vulnerable because once it's out there, it's out there and we got to deal with it. When we hold it, when we keep it to ourselves, then it becomes ours and people aren't helped that way, or at least not helped fast enough. So for me, I talk about it and I try to get down into the grimy parts of it because people People should know it is not our fault. These are policy decisions made by people who either want to have power, keep power, and make sure that power is concentrated in a certain area. That is our, now my work, along with so many others um, in Congress, especially my friends on the squad, our work is to tear that down completely. When when you met with Vice President Harris on on this on this question, what was the what was the approach you took to try to move her on it? Uh, I just said to her, I want you to look me in my eyes. I want to look into yours, but I want you to look into my eyes because I cannot allow my people in St. Louis to end up pushed out onto the street. And I need you to hear me. I need you to see my heart. That's all I wanted from her in that moment was to see. Look, I wanted her to see into my soul and to see all the pain. Because 
there was so much going on in, on the inside of me. I wanted her to see that and feel what the people of St. Louis that are risking eviction and the people all over this country who are at risk or actually being evicted. I wanted her to feel that because I felt like if she could feel that, if she could hear that, and then also hear it from somebody who also on the team, you know, I'm not trying to work against you. I'm not trying to embarrass you. I'm not trying to put you, you know, none of that. We're on the same team. I'm just trying to help you to see how urgent this crisis is and how our inaction will kill people. It's a global pandemic. And so that was the point of that moment. Did, did you see any of your uh, colleagues' minds being changed over the course of the last week? Or do you think that primarily what happened was public pressure moving uh, both Congress and the White House? I think minds were changing. So, I mean, I can't say for sure because I didn't necessarily talk to all of the people that did show up, the members that did show up or called me over the weekend in the last couple of days, I didn't necessarily talk to them prior to, so I don't know what their mindset was then. But for those that showed up or called me, many of them said, I heard you, or, you know, I saw your interview and, and I have to be here. So I know that they were getting the message, whether they were a, a yes vote on the eviction moratorium extension or not. I know that change did happen within our caucus. And I'm proud that we were able to get here and we didn't do it alone. Our staff, you know, that the staff of all of the members that were out there sleeping out there during the day, and I'm not say sleeping because we really didn't sleep out there all night. <laughs> right, not, not, you're not allowed to sleep. Right. They were out there with us too. And they pushed hard, they worked hard to bring this home along with so many community members and advocates. And this was a community effort. How nervous are you that uh, 60 days from now we'll be right back in the same situation with, nope. with very little of the money spent and, and the new moratorium expiring? What, what do you think has changed? Uh, actually, I'm not nervous about it. I'm not nervous because I just feel the same way I felt the moment when I made the decision to go run over to Rep Ocasio-Cortez and say, hey, let's stay here. Let's let's sleep out here tonight and let's bring some awareness. So that same thing that I felt on the inside of me then, that feeling of like move, like it's in my feet, like let's go. That same feeling is what I feel right now. And it is, okay, now we can take this and we can run with it. We can go and do the work to make sure that we connect people to these dollars. Like, that's what I feel. So, like, if we can keep this momentum and push and go get these dollars out, this $46.5 billion where only $3 billion has been spent, get this other uh, $43 billion out the door and in the hands of the people who are supposed to have it, who need it the most. I'm very optimistic. I am not I'm not worried, but we got to do the work and it's a lot of work. We got to do the work and Congress needs to act as well. So we have to figure out legislatively what we need to do. And what what lesson tactically and strategically have, have you and your colleagues drawn from this? I think just a it's just a clear reminder that there is people power. The power is with the people. And, you know, we're powerful individually, but, but collectively, 
we can move mountains. And I am even more encouraged to see what all we're able to accomplish now because we see that we don't have to follow the same protocols and the same, you know, how do we usually do this particular thing? Who do you usually call for this and all of that? Like, we have to think outside of the box because right now we are in a situation that is so different. We're finding out more information about COVID-19. You know, what happened with the Alpha variant? What happens with the Delta variant? Will there be another variant? Do we need a boost? Like, all of those things, everything is just always evolving with this situation. And then going backwards, and it's just so much happening with this. We have to be just as flexible, ready to move. And so I think that's what that's a lesson learned here, is to think outside of the box. You know, we are legislators. We should be able to do the work and figure out we have amazing teams. We have people in our communities that are ready to talk to us and share their ideas. Let's listen and get the work done. It just may cause for us to be a little uncomfortable to do it. <laughs> and meanwhile, it seemed like a lot of Democrats in Washington were spending more energy defeating Nina Turner out in Ohio than they were on extending this eviction moratorium. The Congressional Black Caucus, of, of which you're a member, even their PAC even went in and endorsed Chantel Brown. I mean, one, you know, was was that a decision that the CBC brought to all its members? And two, you know, what do you, what do you take from that Tuesday night election? Um, yeah, the CBC PAC, I believe it was. Yeah, I believe that that was their route. It wasn't my route. I actually was supposed to be in Cleveland for the weekend. And when this happened, I called my dear sister, Nina Turner, and let her know that I would be late getting there because I had to stay the night on the street. And I just didn't know how long. I didn't know I would be there overnight. I mean, you know, the next day. I didn't know I'd be there the following day. But she understood. And uh, that's what I love about a fighter. That's what I love about mm. like-minded people, you know, ready to show up, but also un understanding that the people are our first focus. Do you think this will have implications for the, this win will have implications for the rest of the agenda? Progressives have said that the bipartisan infrastructure deal isn't going through without a big reconciliation package as well. Uh, do you think that this demonstration of power is going to make that threat or that promise more credible? Um, you know, I hope so. But it's just a matter of, like, that's on us. It is on us to know what we want out of this and then do the work for it. But then also understanding, you know, seeing what it is that that others are saying that they want to see within the reconciliation package, you know, being able to to do this thing together. I am definitely looking forward to a big package, bringing home deliverables to my community uh, that we weren't able to get before. Uh, so, yes, this is our moment to really, really use our voices, but being very strategic about what we can do with this. And hopefully, I'm so glad we have Senator Bernie Sanders in the Senate who believes the same things that many of us do about uh, making sure that we bring home these wins. And last question, because I know you got to run. You, you had taken some heat earlier for saying that, you know, as a member of Congress, we, you know, we all vote alone. People took that to mean, well, why not some strategic block voting? What's your attitude toward kind of strategic block voting at this point? 
Um, that that's the thing. People heard what they wanted to hear. They already had a particular thing that they felt about us, and so they only heard what they wanted to hear. With that, they totally misunderstood what I said. The point is, we, we can block vote, yes, but at the end of the day, even with even with a block vote, my name. When you pull up Corey Bush, the record is mine. If you pull up Speaker Pelosi, that record is hers. You pull up someone else, that record is theirs. That is the point, that no matter how you vote, my community, they don't care about what the next person voted. My, the district that voted you in cares about how you voted. And so whether we vote as a block or whether we vote separately. And, and so, yes, we can and we have. We have done that. And the people that are, have listened to this and don't understand that is baffling to me because you want in your district the things that are specific to your district, you want your representatives to care about those things. But the district, another district may not have those issues as number one, number two. So that is the point. In some districts, the issue, uh, there may be water may be the issue, maybe the number one issue in that community. But then another district, it could be gun violence. Another issue, another district is wildfires. Another, so we have to understand that. So do we do we say my community? You know, I'm not going to. I don't care about the wildfires happening in my community because I want to vote like everybody else. You know, but but your district is like, but we needed this thing. You didn't speak up for us. So that is that is the point of that. At the end of the day, my record does not show. It doesn't say Cory Bush and then Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Uh, her, her votes are mixed in there. This is okay because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Ayanna Presley, Johan Omar, and Jamal Bowman all voted this way. No. So that is the point. All right. All right well, Congresswoman Bush, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. That was Congresswoman Cori Bush, and that's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. Laura Flynn is our supervising producer. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Ryan Grimm, D.C. Bureau Chief of The Intercept. If you'd like to support our work, go to theintercept.com give. Your donation, no matter what the amount, makes a real difference. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. And please do leave us a rating or review. It helps people find the show. If you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.